0: Good evening and welcome into another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shopdoss, C70. It's at C70 on Twitter with me as always, Tara Nichols from Birds on the Black and at Tara Wellman on Twitter coming at you on Sunday, right before Halloween. Um, This was, I don't think it was a, I guess maybe it was a trick or treat type of week for the Cardinals. I mean, there was good things. There was unidentifiable things in the bottom of the basket. You know, depending on how you look at this. Um there was a lot of news for the Cardinals not being in the playoffs at the end of October.
1: There was a lot of news for the Cardinals before the World Series had even started. I mean it just the time first of all the gap between the championship series and the World Series beginning. I almost forgot that it wasn't over yet. But um yeah, for, for news like this, as significant as it is to come out uh, in advance of the World Series, it's it's certainly unusual for the Cardinals, um, if not for baseball in general. So big, big week.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Cardinals are apparently getting used to um shocking revelations in the <laughs> postseason. You know, yep. Last year it was Mike Schilt leaving um very dramatically, I guess you could say. And this week, uh, when Mo did his press conference, he came out and said, hey, look, we have no coaches. Um, (laughs) Skip Schumacher, of course, leaving for Miami a day or so beforehand. But really shocking to hear um, that Jeff Albert and Mike Maddox and then Brian Everskirt are all gone. They weren't relieved of their positions because at least two of those guys kind of made the choice to step away. It seems like, but um, still, I mean, I don't think we expected the Cardinals would need to fill up like half their coaching staff, um, you know, here before November.
1: Yeah. You know, it's especially interesting coming off of the unceremonious firing of Mike Schilt Mm -hmm. and that coming on this sort of vague explanation of philosophical differences, which sort of led to believe, led us to believe many, I guess I should say, that there was some sort of difference, yes, between the front office and Mike Schilt in terms of how to move forward as a, an organization and as a team and and how that translates to in-game decisions and, you know, all these things, right? Um mm. But that perhaps there had been friction between him and the other people on the coaching staff. So it's, of course, lots of assumption in that, right? Because we were right. never given any more clarity. Um, but then to see the two key players in that coaching staff just decide, nah, I think I'm done. Um there's a lot of intrigue there for me. I mean, I I would love to be a fly on the wall of those decisions being made or explained because, you know, I guess the idea that we were led to believe was that an Ali Marmel led field staff was going to be a more cohesive unit and that those philosophical, you know, Places where there could be philosoph- philosophical differences uh, would be resolved by eliminating Mike Schultz from the picture. Now, perhaps those are large assumptions and big leaps on our part without having really any details to go off of. But it was strange and surprising to see those two pieces after one year with Ollie Marmol at the helm say, mm, thanks, but no thanks. And I'm not pointing fingers at Marmol and saying, well, this is because they didn't like working for him. Although, <laughs> who's to say, there wasn't a bit of trouble in Paradise when you make that kind of change. Um, and, and if there was some sort of dramatic difference in how their job was approached by uh, the man at the helm, right? So in that regard, it's very interesting to me. I also think Man, what had to be going on behind the scenes for two men with pretty, like, comfortable jobs, I would say, um, to just decide, I don't want to be here anymore. And I guess the... The, the skeptical part of me is concerned that there's more going on under the surface than we're ever going to know, except for when it comes to these kinds of personnel decisions. Um, now, that may be a, a little too negative, Nancy, because it doesn't appear that everything is falling apart at the seams with Nolan Arenado opting in on the player side of things. But um, it is interesting. I will say one thing. This is my sort of like conspiracy moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> think back with me to the Ryan Helsley ill-fated moment with the can't feel my finger situation Mm -hmm. when he had walked two guys then hit another Mike Maddox went to the mound and watching that live I was like this first of all yes I get it that it's your closer you trust him he's done this before you have no reason not to think that he's fine yada yada um but like that was a lot of just we'll just we'll just let him let him go and see what happens. So then Mike Maddox finally goes to the mound, does the the one shoulder thing. I think I think it was just one one shoulder. Um, and they're talking, and then Ollie Marmol goes out to the mound. Now, of course, I think the easy thing to say is, oh, they were buying time, um, for what was it, Palante that was warming up behind him. Okay, you can say that. However, in the moment, I found it very strange the way that that little mound meeting broke up because they were talking. Marmol came out, didn't really join the meeting, just kind of like wandered around the back of the mound. And then Ryan Helsley threw one pitch to warm up, see how he felt or whatever. And immediately Marmol was like, no, you're done and took the ball from him. And was just like I, I'm done. I'm not. I'm not doing this anymore. It caught me. I I thought it was strange in the moment because there was the slightest hint of Maddox and Marmol were not on the same page. It almost mm. looked like Maddox. The approach was let's let him see through a few pitches, see how he's going to do. You tell me you're okay. Then then we'll we'll work through it. And Marmo came out and was like, I'm done playing. I'm done playing this game. We're, we're moving on from this. And I said in the moment <laughs> to my husband while we were watching this game, I feel like something was weird about that in that maybe the conversation between the two of them was not in agreement about, hey, we need to get somebody warming up. Hey, we need to pull him out of there. Hey, we can't let him you know, fall apart here. I don't know what that conversation is. I don't know what that conversation normally is because I'm not in a dugout sitting in between a manager and a pitching coach. But they're talking all the time and mm-hmm. communicating back and forth about what the right next move is. I felt like that was strange distinctively compared to how that dynamic has looked at other times in the season. And Of course, now with hindsight, I'm like, ah, that was the moment that I knew something. No. (laughs) But (laughs) it just made me think in that moment and after news that Mike Maddox was not interested in renewing his contract, it made me think, wow, I wonder if there was, again, maybe a difference in philosophy or this idea of Marmol not always trusting Maddox to know when the right moment is to pull a guy or Maddox not always wanting Marmol to be, you know, if there was just some sort of tension there that, that made it hard to feel like it was a cohesive decision between the guy who's supposed to know the pitchers best and the guy who is responsible for making those decisions at the end of the day, regardless of what the pitching coach says. Um, you know, nobody was raking Mike Maddox over the coals for not pulling Ryan Helsley soon enough. Cause that's not his job. But if he was giving Marmel information that he was basing that off of, that then ended up not being maybe the best information. So anyway, <laughs> on and on to say, yeah, I thought that was a weird moment. And I, I mentioned it at the time, probably meant nothing. It was probably just buying time for Palante to come into the game. But seeing this news uh, regarding the coaching staff made me think back to that moment a little bit and just say, okay, maybe this wasn't, maybe they weren't the right people to work together to get the best result. And this way with all of the coaches everywhere going away, <laughs> um, Marmol can kind of build his staff based on the people that He works best with and that he has the most trust in, of course, along with the front office and who they want to bring in and all of those pieces. But he'll be part of that in establishing what that looks like going forward. And maybe that ends up being a good thing. I don't know that anyone's particularly heartbroken about Maddox and Albert not being with the Cardinals going forward. um, But it was surprising, especially knowing that from the front office perspective, they're ready to just keep the status quo. And Move forward when the individuals who now are jobless were like, Nah, I don't want to play this anymore. That's very weird for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is, it is you know, there was some indication of some people were saying, Okay, weird that these people are both doing this on the same day or whatever the case may be. I mean, I, but you know, I think you come to that, I would assume you've come to these kind of decisions you know, as the season's rolling on. Right, and so when right. they come into you and say, Hey, let's talk contract. Then you say, let's not, um, <laughs> for Maddox. I mean, he is what? 60, 61, something in that area. He's been in baseball a long, long time and they still are interested in having him be, you know, he he's even talked about, I think, I, I don't think we've seen any direct quotes from, from Maddox. I think he's on vacation or something, but, um, there was an ind- indication that he was open to, you know, special assistant role type of, mm-hmm. you know, something that's a lot less time because I, I can understand him wanting to step back. But I also can easily imagine that as much as he, I think Maddox is probably open to the analytics and stuff like that, but I don't know that they're, He lives and breathes them like probably the next generation has. I've always said that I feel like a lot of that stuff I came along too late for. So, you know, I understand it, but I don't necessarily speak the language as well as (laughs) people that are 10 years younger than me. Um, And I got to feel like there's some of that too. It's like, you know, Maddox could understand the information he was getting, but, you know, was he completely comfortable, especially... You know, he'd been through a lot of different types of managers here, yeah. right? I mean, he was with he was with Matheny for a year, wouldn't he? Um, uh, yeah, pretty sure.
1: I believe so. Um,
0: and then he's with you know a guy that has played the game was kind of a contemporary of him, um, because I think he and Matheny probably played about the same time. Um, maybe a little bit overlap. He's a little bit older, but still some some contemporary. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you've got Mike Schild, who is at least an age contemporary. who's in that ballpark and still probably had some l- kind of like, like Maddox, if we're assuming that this discussion is accurate, which is a big assumption, but um, that understood the analytics, could talk about the analytics, but didn't just live the analytics. And then he's right. got Ollie Marmol, who is... As old as his daughter, I mean, pretty much, or something <laughs> yeah. of that nature, um, and he is talking this new language. And I can, so I mean, yeah, I can understand that it, it's like, okay, do I really want to do this for another year or two, or whatever this contract is going to be? And it, it may be a good time to step down. So I can understand that. Yeah. Jeff Albert was a little bit different type of strangeness, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, again, just like Maddox club was willing to offer him a contract. He's speaking the analytical language that Ali Marmol is. There did not seem to be any kind of rift between those two. Although um, yeah, I don't think there's any obvious rifts of Marmol against anybody, but Albert seems to have turned down coming back in, in large part, in some part to the criticisms that he's getting, as a hitting coach. And I think it's just, I mean, I don't know that it's, I think it's an interesting discussion to have about should a guy have thicker skin and just deal with all this criticism or is it fair for him to walk away when he can do some of the same stuff, either freelance or for another team and not necessarily have to deal with at least what he thought was abuse.
1: Yeah. It's interesting in two parts One, because from the organization standpoint, I mean, you and I were in St. Louis not that long ago, and Mo reiterated, even in response to a question I think I asked as a follow-up, that the Jeff Albert program was still something that they very much believed in, and -hmm. still something that they very much felt necessary, and was as defensive as Mo gets about that part of this, that hey, we've said all along this is a process, this is a rebuild of the way that we think about hitting and the way that we teach hitting. And so yes, we feel like we're seeing the results that we need on the minor league levels. And we're going to continue to see those results at the the major league level because this is what we feel like is the right approach to contemporary hitting. So it's fascinating in that regard, because it really seems like that one maybe caught Mo by surprise
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um because he very much at least a couple months ago was saying, No, this is right where we expected to be with this, and you know this is this is a a process that we still believe in. But to your second point there as to how much Jeff Albert should be really affected by the criticism. I mean, yeah, people have been harsh in regards to Jeff Albert and the success or failure of the Cardinals. But look, believing in the program or not, you can't deny that there are very inconsistent results at the major league level. What it's doing in the minor leagues and how guys feel about it there is one thing. But we've said this before, whether it was with Mike Schilt and his success on the minor league level or even Ollie Marmol, is that coaching and teaching and instructing in the minor leagues is a totally different thing than doing that in the major leagues, because your entire purpose is different. In the minor leagues, you're very much focused on development and how to move a guy from point A to point B, not just on how to create a championship-capable team and have them execute that in the heat of the moment. It's a very different responsibility. So Maybe the same is true about Jeff Albert as it is for those other guys that this is a great developmental process, but when you then become responsible for a player being clutch or not clutch, if we want to make (laughs) that a real sports term, um, I can see that being hard to handle, but I can also see you mentioned the sort of generation gap between Maddox and Marmol. There's a bit of a generation gap between Albert and, Old school baseball people too Just old school people in general Where apparently he cares What people are saying about him um, Because It's not like He was being expected To answer Questions from the media, right? He wasn't being made mm-hmm. available to talk to reporters. He wasn't being asked on a regular basis to give account for how his philosophy isn't working in real game situations. He wasn't, none of that was happening. So where was this criticism coming from? Was this just the average fan who gets frustrated when the Cardinals don't go 162 and zero? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. is that is that whose opinion he was affected by? Um because that seems strange, but it also seems perhaps more generationally accurate for a Jeff Albert type than a Mike Maddox type, who probably doesn't have any desire to ever be part of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Jeff Albert has been on Twitter in the past and yep. has been on you know, so he he engages on that level or did by choice, and is more interested, or at least is more drawn to seeing what the feedback says. Um, Which, yeah, if you want to work in professional sports, is probably not a good idea. Uh, There's a reason that, um, you know, one of the things you get in media training as a young athlete is likely to just, like, don't read your DMs. (laughs) (laughs) um just don't do it usually it's you know have a bad day at the plate don't don't go on twitter and read about yourself don't search your own name don't do any of those things um so maybe maybe jeff albert needed better media training i don't know (laughs) but yeah it's odd for for those two reasons um and i wonder if (sighs) i guess i see people of kind of this social media age who are way more affected by what other people think of them because it's so readily accessible. Um, and it's so right in their face. And unfortunately people are the worst (laughs) Mm. and will set or respect no boundaries in terms of what they will say on social media and what they won't. Um, now, does the fact that Jeff Albert probably should pay less attention to social media justify what people are saying? No. Um, do you have to be able to ignore criticism when you know it's not really your fault or when you presume it's not really your fault or when, you know, whatever it is. Yes. Uh, but people are pretty terrible. And, yeah. you know, if you're involved in that realm where all you hear about yourself is constantly bad. I mean, maybe he should have a thicker skin. Maybe he should stay off the internet, but I can understand that affecting a person's desire to go to work every day.
0: (laughs) And it's, it's also fair to guess because we haven't gotten a lot from Jeff Albert since this came out. It's also fair for us to wonder how much less that it bothered him and more that his family was bothered by it. Mm. You know, I mean, I was just looking just now and I saw that you've seen it as well, that, you know, um, Paul Young's mom's talking about people, you know, coming after her and, and situations where, you know, she's tried to be engaging online and then you just got people that are just like your whole family should die, you know, that kind of stuff, which is just ridiculous to think that anybody would, get that worked up about this, you know, to even say that. Um so, you know, is it a situation where you just like, hey, I'm just gonna step away in part so that my family doesn't have to look at all this abuse yeah. all the time. I, I I don't know. I mean it, it may be, it may not be. Um but I And think I would
1: say yeah, I would say that's super fair. Um mm-hmm. because you're right. Those kinds of things don't just affect the person that they're said about. And mm-hmm that is the sad state of the world and the immediate access people have to one another through the internet. But regardless of whether I think he should care less about what people are saying about him or not, it doesn't change the fact that, yeah, this can affect yep. a lot of people in really negative and complicated ways. And, you know, if it's a matter of prioritizing his family and and their safety and their mental health and all of those things then man <laughs> i mean props to him for stepping away from like i said a pretty solid job um in order to protect who they are as people if that's the case
0: and it is also fair to say look jeff albert has a track record at the major league level now if you know he he had a reputation and he had some sort of track record, I guess, in the Houston organization. But he's, he's done it at the biggest level. The Cardinals offense, we saw what it did this year. Um, you know, the fact that Albert Pujols had a great second half, and that's <laughs> somewhat is just Albert being Albert. But some of that was, you know, yeah, the discussions that he had with Jeff Albert, because you would see them talking. And and, and uh, Pujols had mentioned some of that. Um He's got a record like this. And I think that that makes it easier for you to go out on your own, especially yeah. in this time, day yeah. and age where, you know, driveline and other places that you, people will come to you right. and you can do that. Probably make similar, if not better, you <laughs> yeah. and be out of the spotlight. So it's a win-win for him, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've never felt like Jeff Albert was really the spotlight kind of guy. Yeah. Um so that just may be a, a more comfortable place for him to do mm-hmm. what he does and use what his skill set is and not uh allow his name to be the only <laughs> the only one that takes blame when things go wrong.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And and like I said, okay, so those guys left, Ever this whole that was he got moved to be a special assistant. Mm-hmm it's a bullpen coach. Even in St. Louis, we don't get too worked up about bullpen coaches. Um, Probably more so than any other fan base, but that doesn't mean (laughs) it's a lot. Um, And then, like we said, Skip Schumacher takes the job in Miami. Um, It did seem like it was a matter of time before Skip got a, a job of some sort. Um, It's, it's just, I I guess, you know, the, the year away from San Diego, his family being, you know, kind of separate, uh, kind of showed that they could do it. And yeah. so now he gets a chance to, to follow uh, Don Mattingly and see what he can do with the Marlins.
1: <laughs> Which is a tall order in and of itself. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of work to be done there, but it's a great opportunity for Skip. And, you know, he'd interviewed for um, managerial roles prior to this. And, and so it wasn't... Including in St. Louis. Including in St. Louis, yeah. So <laughs> it wasn't a shock that he would be interviewed again. Um, and I think... <laughs> Look, he's developing a bit of a track record as well, right? And and he's been in multiple organizations now who seemingly have nothing but praise to to speak of him and his role and his ability to work with ball players. So mm-hmm. it, it will be interesting to see how he operates as the manager. Um but I I think it's it was cool to have Skip back in St. Louis for this season in particular with the the Yachty Albert Wainwright stuff. Uh, it was cool. As we mentioned at one point, like he just gets to sit there and watch all of this and he played with these guys. So that was kind of mm-hmm. fun. Um, but I, am excited for him while simultaneously feeling like, Oh, well, we only got one year of him. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> who knows, who knows who they'll bring in. Um, but good luck to him in Miami.
0: Yeah. And yeah, we'll, we'll get to see him in spring training quite a bit. So, yeah. Um, so all these people are leaving There are a couple people that aren't, um, Adam Wainwright decides he's going to come back for another year, uh, which does seem to be his last. I, you know, Wainwright didn't, he said, yeah, you could say it's my last, but I don't want to deal with the hoopla and all that kind of stuff. And I got to feel like he wasn't so definite definitive that another good year would rule out him coming back for 2024, but it's probably his last year. Uh, not the last year for Noah Darnado, who has decided mm-hmm. not to opt out and will be in St. Louis for at least another five years. Um, he, the two top things on the, on the offseason list were kind of checked off pretty quickly, and I don't know that we saw both of those coming this, this week.
1: No, uh, but I'm glad they did. I'm glad it didn't get strung out. Um, the So I will say, I think when Adam Wainwright posted that, that Twitter thread explaining, uh, you know, like, hey, guys, I know what the problem was. We just didn't catch it in time for me to fix it. So I should have been better, but I wasn't that was the moment where I was like, "Oh, he doesn't want to go out like that. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and I think a lot of people thought that as well, just in the sense you got from that conversation that he, he knew that there was still something left. I think part of why maybe he was hesitant to say whether it was or was not his last year is that, ah, man, Adam Wainwright loves this game. He loves competing. <laughs> he loves being out there. And I, I don't know that he's the guy that's going to go out um, I was just talking with somebody about this the other day. Very few athletes go out on top because, well, we were talking about Tom Brady, because they always think they can do it again, right? And so even the best of the best rarely go out on top because if they're in that rare form, they're not going to want to just step away from it. And Adam Wainwright kind of feels like the guy that's going to do it until he feels like he can't anymore. So perhaps the hesitation this last year of deciding, is it or isn't it my last year? Is it well, I don't want to, I don't want to step away if, if I can still do it. I don't want to step away if there's still something in the tank. And I think he maybe got a little worried the way that September went for him this year that, wow, did I just hit a wall? Was that it? Is that the end of like, am I just, am I that old guy now? Um, So then to come out very quickly and be like, no, 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 I'm not just old. There was a problem. We just didn't have time to fix it. To me was that, "Ah, but now that I know how to fix it, I got to get back out there and compete. So, not super surprised that he's out there for another year, um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what another year of Adam Wainwright does. I I did think it was interesting that he's very clear in some of his goals at this point, which are numbers related. He's kind of chasing some numbers, um, which. I would imagine he would be very quick to say it comes secondary to helping the team win, but those things are important to him. We heard his uh, last post-game interview at the end of the season where he was saying, I didn't really do anything I wanted to do this year. <laughs> so that led me to believe ooh, he had some very specific things in mind that he wanted to accomplish. And he's a little, uh, a little more than a little upset <laughs> that he didn't get there. Um, and as far as Arnato is concerned, I'm not, surprised by that either. I think there was this, this expectation sort of at large in baseball that Arenado was going to do what guys do when they have an option like that um, or an opt-out, I should say, um, because they want more money. But it didn't seem like that was likely to be the case with Arenado, And not because it's St. Louis, but because it was Arenado in St. Louis with this team with this season. Like It just felt like the pieces fell into place and that he was more—I'm gonna be careful how I say this because, like, they all want—they <laughs> all want the money that they can get, right? Right, um, right. But that he was perhaps more concerned with making sure he was in an organization that was actually going to insist on being competitive, rather than like he experienced with the Rockies, saying like, "Hey, I'm all in on this." As long as we're moving in this this winning direction and for then them to back out and be like, nah, just kidding <laughs> about that whole trying to win thing. So I think that was more significant to him at this point than, you know, making sure that he got every last dollar that he could, um, which is still kind of rare in the world of baseball today. That's not <laughs> that's not what everybody does. Um but I'm glad. <laughs> I'm very glad that it worked out. I would say that's two uh, situations now in Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado that were a bit of a risk on the part of John Mozelak and company to bring a guy in without a guarantee for an extended future. Um, and in both of those cases, <laughs> the Cardinals very much uh, <laughs> won those trades um, in order to get two of the best in, in baseball in this era. But... Being able to extend that beyond a year or two is a was a was a risk. It was no, it was not a guarantee to be sure. And I think it it does speak volumes. Just like I said, oh, I wonder if there's trouble in paradise because of the coaching changes. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it speaks volumes for the actual players on the field and to some degree, Oli Marmol, um, for the clubhouse uh, environment that has a guy like Arenado saying, yeah, okay. I I want to hear what the front office has to say about the direction of this team, but I would like to be here if we can make that happen. So it, good to see that. And I'm sure Adam Wainwright's shameless pleading didn't hurt either.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I think that you're, you're right in this degree that, that that there was a risk there. But, but I think Goldschmidt more than Aronado, because we've heard the stories. We've, we've yeah. heard the things. he was He was campaigning to get to St. Louis. I mean, years before um, he actually made it, the deal actually got done. I think the Cardinals had a trade maybe the year before that had been, that had fallen out through or something of that nature. You know, I've heard about him sending clips to Wainwright saying passes (laughs) to Mo. You know, again, my my personal conspiracy theory is that he had one name on his no trade list and that's why the Cardinals got (laughs) such a deal. So there was really no chance he was, If he, Unless he came to St. Louis and things just were terrible, I feel like he was going to stay. But you're right. I mean, there is a possibility that he opts out. There's a possibility he opts out just as a technical matter, so they have to pay him a little bit more, um, even though he doesn't necessarily want to go anywhere else. But I think it's very telling that um, Mo, Mo flew to California this week or last week to talk to Nolan, not necessarily about the opt-out, but more about what the Cardinals are planning to do. I assume definitely this year, maybe for the next two or three years, the plan of where they're going. And I think you're right. You know, obviously he had a tough time in in Colorado with his salary, at least giving Colorado the um, excuse not to go out and add around. Um, So, you know, I think he wanted to make sure that that wasn't going to be the case here. And, you know, he doesn't add any money to his contract, which we thought it might be the case, right? We thought they might have mm-hmm. to, you know, sweeten the deal or something like that. Adam Wainwright takes $17.5 million, but but first $10 million of that. You know, there's a significant amount of money that's going to be on the table this winter and i think that the cardinals have a plan for how to spend it and nolan arnauto is on board with that plan yeah. um, and if nolan arnauto the guy that wants to win more than anything i think sometimes more than breathing <laughs> uh, is on board with that plan then you know i'm i'm very interested to see what it's going to be um and i also think that a lot of the criticisms we give or are, are are thrown toward the front office and toward management and toward Build DeWitt Wit and all that kind of stuff. I think, you know, again, are a little short sighted because this front office wants to win as well. Um, you know, they want to do it in our you know, they're not gonna go out and be crazy about it because that doesn't always work as you can see for the Mets and the Dodgers this year and stuff <laughs> of that nature. But you know, they're not going to let this team turn into, you know, a second or third or fourth place type of team. That's an all yeah. nobody thinks about it.
1: Yeah, well, I, I would just say, I think at this point, Nolan Arnato is calling the shots, right? Because he's the one that last year said, Hey, Albert, come <laughs> play here. You're my favorite. It'd be cool. Uh, he's also the one before, um, the, I guess, towards the... Uh, halfway marker through this season said not i don't want to be a wild card team i don't win a division that's mm-hmm. something i haven't really done i'd I'd really like to just win the division um and then they did so <laughs> apparently it's Arnaldo's world and we're all just living in it yeah. and i'm okay with that i think
0: yeah and i think some of that is i think it was even wasn't even last year when they were struggling that he said they were going to be a wild card team and they were the wild mm-hmm. card team um that's
1: true i forgot about that one
0: I think it's just, I mean, in some regard, in that, he just, he's got that will that he can, he'll do everything he can. And that makes everybody else kind of step up too. You know, there's lots of variables in there, but that kind of intensity is, and we've talked about it before, about when, you know, now Yachty's gone, Wainwright's going to be gone next year. It seems like, you know, when those legends are out of the picture who takes the leadership mantle And it really feels like, you know, Paul Goldschmidt's going to be the lead by example guy that maybe Wainwright was. And Nolan Naranato is going to be the, I'm going to tell you what I think guy that Yadier Molina was. (laughs) And, you know, they're going to kind of balance that out like that because they're two different type of guys, but they both have that kind of respect in the clubhouse. And, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how that works over the next three or four years.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great duo in a lot of ways. I think, you know... Hitting in the postseason is hard. <laughs> we mm-hmm. saw that for a lot of teams, not just the Cardinals. Um, but I also think you have two guys who are really going to do everything they can to try to figure that out for themselves uh, and and not repeat that in the same way. Now, whether it happens or not, I mean, that's all part of the journey, right? <laughs> that's part of mm-hmm. what right. makes it interesting to watch. But from a leadership standpoint, from a work ethic standpoint, from a, a how they go about the game standpoint, you have two guys that are are by all accounts, super widely respected. And now taking on that mantle of, hey, at some point, this isn't going to be Yadier Molina's team. It's not going to be Adam Wainwright's team. It's going to be our team. And I mean, (laughs) think back to like five years ago and (laughs) – would we have been saying, you know, this is going to be the Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arnato era in St. Louis? I don't I don't know. We probably would have said that and then laughed at ourselves and been like, yeah, OK, um, then here we are. So it, it's great. I think it um, solidifies just a really important piece of that core and then gives the Cardinals direction, not just because of the players that they know they have, but again, uh, because Arnato's going to tell them exactly what he thinks they need to do. <laughs>
0: It'll, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you know, now that they've gotten past both of Nolan's um, opt-outs, yeah. you know, does he still have that kind of leverage? <laughs> um, and, and I think it's possible because, uh, maybe not to the same degree, but the, car, the club has, in the past, you know, had player sounding board to some degree, right? You mm, know, they've yeah. they've listened to different players and gotten their opinion on stuff. And I think Nolan is going to be one of those guys. that's always going to want to give his opinion. Um, You know, it doesn't mean they'll they'll do exactly what he, you know, what he says or what they should do, but I think they'll factor that into whatever they're doing.
1: Right. Well, again, I mean, it was shortly after Arenado's comments about, yeah, I want to win a division. It'd be nice if we got some help <laughs> that yeah. we spoke to Mo and he was like, I don't, that doesn't change our plan, but yeah, we hear it and we understand it. And it, it, you know, it, it can't change our approach entirely, but it can influence how we feel about this particular season or this particular team. It's, and I, I don't think that should be understated because that voice from the clubhouse is something that this organization I feel like has not I don't want to say hasn't had, but has, like you said, there have been times where that was something that they got input on, but there have also been times where it was like, have you checked in with the actual players on this team at all, like ever? Because it feels like what you're saying and seeing is very different than what they're saying and seeing. And that feels like a problem. So no, I think it's a good piece to have on the field and off and to create that um, kind of, uh, look, whether he has that leverage or not, he now knows that he has that kind of relationship and that kind of um, ability to have these conversations with John Mosellock that uh, may be really valuable down the road. So good all around.
0: Yeah. Yep. I think we're all, we're all happy with that. So, um, so it seems unlikely that there's going to be that much news this coming week. <laughs> um, I mean, there'll be a world series guy team that wins, but, you know, it's not the Cardinals, so I don't know that we <laughs> care. Um, but uh, GM meetings are, I think, a week from a week from tomorrow, uh, sometime that time, and there may be some stuff coming out from there. But whenever there is some more Cardinal dues, Tara and I will be back around to to talk about it. Maybe we'll show up anyway to talk about some of the off season stuff here and there. But until next time, for Tara, I'm Daniel. Good night.
1: Hey Cardinals fans, thanks for listening to this week's show. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on iTunes. Just search Gateway to Baseball Heaven under Podcasts and click subscribe. While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in baseball heaven.